0: We had a pastor's gathering here on Tuesday and uh, about 40 pastors from around the Chicagoland area. And all we're talking about the presence of the Lord in their services. And I don't know if you've sensed in our services recently just the power of the presence of God. The Spirit is pouring himself out and uh, we need to seek him. We, need to just, we just need to have our arms open wide and um, powerful uh, day. And I encourage you to continue to pray for the church around the world. And again, we believe that God... Is, uh, is Sending Revival, and it's going to hit here as well. It's going to hit everywhere, and uh, so let's be ready for it. I um, hope you have your Bibles, and uh, take out your sermon notes that are on the back of your bulletin, and let's go in, and I'm going to give you a number of verses today. You can look them up or write them down, but we definitely want you to get all of them, and as we are on our Romans road trip, preaching through the book of Romans, we have uh, kind of paused here in Romans chapter 8. This will be our fifth message from Romans chapter 8, and uh, we want to dive in. And look at Romans chapter 8 because it is the sum of the Christian experience. It's the essence of our Christian life. And so we want to get as much as we can in it. Just taking a few verses at a time, we began in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't have to fear God's wrath. That's how it begins. And how the book ends, which will probably be next week or the week after, it's simply this, that there's nothing that can separate me from God's love. Isn't that great? I don't have to fear God's wrath, and there's nothing that can separate me from God's love. Now, in between, we have to be in Christ. We have to follow the Spirit, allow Him to be at work in our life. And there will be suffering, and there will be difficulties along the way, but the Spirit is there, and He is working everything together for our good in this life. And so, we pick it up in that verse, and uh, again, we let uh, the Holy Spirit work, because what is our secret superpower? Weakness weakness. That's our secret superpower. We're weak, but he is strong. So let's pick it up in verse 28 today. I'm going to read out of the King James Version. I normally don't do that, but I'm going to read it out of the King James because you will probably recognize it out of the King James. Then I'll read it out of the New Living Translation. It says, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay? So that's the passage of Scripture we're going to deal with tonight. Now let me read it out of the New Living Translation to put it into a, a language that we can understand a little bit better for us today. It says this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Having, and having chosen them, he called them to come to him, and having called them, he gave them the right standing with himself. And having given them the right standing, he gave them his glory." Let's pass, look at this passage. Get your pens out. I want you to diagram some things because these are some of the most important verses in the New Testament. They're also some of the most misunderstood verses in the New Testament. And I want us to look at them together tonight because they're very, very important for us to understand what God is doing in our life. We have to believe that God has a plan for our life. So you knew God's plan. And let's, do, uh, um, let's make it really personal here. Uh, for my life. Okay, God's plan for my life. And that's what we're going to be studying. And he then, in these two verses, gives us two different directions. There's a purpose for God's plan. The purpose for God's plan. And then he tells us the process of God's plan. The purpose and then the process. So we begin with the purpose as we look here. So the purpose of God's plan is that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. And so we'll just say that we'll be like Christ. Okay, that's the purpose, or I should say that's God's plan for you and me that I would be like Christ, I'd be conformed into his image. Now, there's a lot of Greek words tonight that I'm not going to bore you with, but I am going to give you the meanings behind them. And the idea of us being conformed, and I'll use that word even though it's from the King James. I'm going to use that word because it's how we think about our relationship with Christ or what God's plan for us is. We, we understand that word. But the idea of being conformed into the image of Christ actually has to do with both outside, inside, all around, this entire transformation of who we are. This is not a superficial, looking like Jesus kind of thing. This is a total life transformation from the inside out until eventually we even have a resurrected body like Jesus. But this is everything changed to be like Christ. That's why skin-deep Christianity just doesn't work. Because God wants to take on the whole person. And that's why when we get into struggles, when we get into suffering, as we talked about the past couple of weeks, we have to realize that God is somehow using that to shape us and to mold us into the image of Christ. That God's plan is being worked out somehow, in some way, and, and so, again, his plan for our life, the purpose of his plan, is so that I could be made like Jesus. Let me give you some verses here. A couple of books over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, if you want to look that up in your Bibles, you can. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen behind me, or you can just write it down so that you can study it later. But it says 2 Corinthians 3.18. And, um, and as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. And you go back one book to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 59, again, talking about being like Christ. In 1 Corinthians fifteen forty nine, it says, Just as we are now like Adam, the man of earth, so we will be someday like Christ. So that's the goal of, of God for our lives, that we would be like Christ. And when you think about Christ, and that's why I believe it's so important what we're doing on Thursday nights in teaching the life of Christ, is that we would understand who Jesus is and what he did. And and again, this total transformation would begin to take place in our life, that we'd be conformed into his image, that I would think like Christ, that I would feel like Christ or have the heart of Christ, that I would act like Christ. Christ that I would be like him and then eventually um, physically uh, when I'm glorified I will have a glorified body like Christ and so that's God's plan for my life that's God's plan for your life and and I want you to realize that this is God's plan for your life and I don't want you to say I'm not sure how this is going to be done I think this is impossible for me. Pastor Daryl, if you knew my past, if you knew how messed up I was, if, if, if you knew what I know about me, there's no way that I'm going to be like Christ. That ship has sailed. But I want to tell you tonight that God put it in his word for all of us who are in Christ to be like him. And it's not up to you to be like him. God wants to do a work in your heart and in your life, and he wants to make you like Christ, And so this is not for a chosen few. This is the purpose for your life because it's the Holy Spirit's power at work in us. We've already talked about that earlier in chapter 8. It's not about us trying to be good and do better. It's about the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And so we have this total transformation that we will study in a few chapters in Romans chapter 12. And if you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. A verse we all know, but it says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. This is the destiny for all who love God. To be conformed into the image of his son. To be like Christ. To be renewed in every way. And that's God's plan for your life. And then he tells us about the process. And he uses some interesting words here. And I'm going to write them on the board. But the first one is, he foreknew us. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. I want you to write that on your notes, and I want to take each of these on. And again, without getting too deep uh, into the Greek, I want to explain each of these words, because each of these words are extremely important. Because if this is my calling... I've got to go through the process, okay? He foreknew us, okay? That that means he knew beforehand. It's pro prognosko. It's uh, gnosko's knowledge, or he knew us pro before. He knew us beforehand. I mean, when you, when you think about that, that's 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 amazing. God knew us beforehand. But but the word know, that word gnosko, that. Word know isn't just about having knowledge of or being aware of. It's the same word that we would use for Adam knowing Eve. And now I'm not talking about sexually in this point. I'm talking about relationally. And, and so you know what that tells us is that he foreknew us. He had a relationship with us before we ever knew him, before we were ever born. He knew us beforehand. The Old Testament prophets, when talking about Israel, they, they would say things like, only uh, you have I known, or only you have I chosen. You know, and it's, it's that idea of relationship, that relationship that Israel had with God, now the church has with God, that you can have with God, that I knew you, I had a relationship with you before you were ever born. I knew you. About you. And I, I like that as it begins. And then in me, it moves to predestination, which just is very simply we, we know what that word means, and that's pretty clear that it means to determine or to ordain something, that, that God is going to let or make something happen. He determines something to happen. And so he predestined, and those he predestined, he called. And that word call there is, is, is a bid to come. Yes, like he's calling you to come, but it's the call that you would use when you're calling somebody by their first name. So God calls you, not just in a large crowd, but he calls you by name. He says, I want you, I'm choosing you. I want you to come. And so that's the idea of being called. To be justified is to be rendered righteous. Even though we're guilty of our sin, as we read about in Romans 1 and 2, that we have been set free because he took the penalty for our sin. There is no penalty for our sin. We've been justified. We've been made righteous in Christ. And then finally, the idea of being glorified is to be rendered glorious, and it has to do with the uh, outward transformation, if you will, Uh, like when Jesus was glorified and and had his resurrected body. And what I want you to notice about this, and, and what I love, is that all of these words are in the past tense, not just in English, but in the Greek. They're all in the past tense. Even the glorified, which none of us are right now. Uh, That comes a little bit later. But uh, this idea is is what Paul's saying is this process is a done deal. It's a done deal. When you're in Christ, this is going to happen. This is what's going to happen. I love that. It's a future reality, yes, but it's a done deal. And that's what Paul is trying to get Across. Now, remember the context of what we're talking about here, to be like Christ. So we apply the process to being like Christ. And, you know, you were known by God before you were ever born. He loved you from the very beginning. I, I, I like that because he determines you to become like Christ. That's his determination. That's what he has ordained to happen. He calls you by name, by your first name, and bids you to come. And then he begins to do his work in us. I mean, there's nothing we can do to be justified or glorified or made holy. That's his work in our life as we are in Christ following the Holy Spirit. And so we see God's plan, and this is the good news that he's going to bring it to completion in my life. I love that. I, I don't have to worry about it. It's a done deal. It's past tense. It's in the Bible. It's a promise for me. When we look at these words, though, sometimes we we begin to think about our salvation rather than being like Christ. And we see words like choose or elect or predestination. We think of it in terms of salvation. And, and some are saved and some are not. And, and I don't know if I'm part of this group and I don't feel like I'm part of this group. I don't feel like this is actually working in my life. And I, I just want to talk about that for a little bit tonight. I don't want to get on a soapbox, but, but I want to talk to you about what we call Reformed theology, or, or Calvinism, or Determinism. And I just want to mention this real quickly because I think this is a misunderstanding of this verse when we think of it about in, in terms of our salvation. And, and there's two parts of Calvinism that, that are, you just need to know, is that there's single predestination and double predestination. And single predestination is that God chooses who goes to heaven. So that's what we call single predestination. Double predestination, those, are, those that are, are um, you know, uh, Calvinists with guts say that, uh, that double predestination is that God chooses some to go to heaven and he chooses some to go to hell. That God determines who gets to go and who doesn't get to go. And not only is that a misrepresentation of this passage of scripture, I believe it's one of the most destructive ideas in Christianity. And um, I, I think we have to get back to God's way of thinking. And so, what I want to do is, I want to use the Bible and I want to challenge you tonight to maybe think outside the box here, but I want you to think about God and, and what he wants to do. So, I'm going to ask you a question. This is a rhetorical question. You do not have to answer this question. I just want you to think about it. The question is Does God always get what he wants? Does God always get what he wants? I'm not talking about him being sovereign or all-powerful or the King of kings and Lord of lords. The question is, does God always get what he wants? Now, our first temptation is to answer yes very quickly because we think of God's sovereignty. God always gets what he wants, but I want to tell you to be careful, and let me tell you why. <clears throat> what does God want? And I want you to see this in Scripture. I want you to see the heart of God in Scripture. There's verses that are very familiar, but what does God want? First of all, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life that is the christian message in a nutshell john 3:16 there's also passages like second timothy the passage in second timothy that you can turn to or write down but in second timothy chapter 2 verse 4 it's talking about god who wants all people to be saved it's the heart of god desiring all people to be saved. You can jump a little bit later in the New Testament to 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. He says, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What's the heart of God? He wants everyone. He wants a relationship with everyone. That's the heart of God. He wants everyone to know Him. And so this is where rob bell's book went wrong because he asked the question does god always get what he wants he answered yes and so if god always gets what he wants then everybody's saved but when you look at the bible you know there are those that choose to follow and those that choose not to follow that there will be those that go to heaven and there will be those that go to hell it's going to happen and so if god always gets what he wants He must send some to heaven and some to hell. Maybe God doesn't always get what he wants. And as I think about it, especially watching the news this week, I'm pretty sure God doesn't always get what he wants. Because God wanted a Garden of Eden. God wanted to walk with you in the cool of the day and talk with you. That's God's plan. Philip Yancey says, every time Jesus did a miracle, it was like God saying, it wasn't meant to be like this. It wasn't meant to be like this. I submit to you that God doesn't always get what, gets what he wants. I know it might be radical to think about, but we have a decision in the matter. Our life tells a story. And we have free will. And the reason I believe that, that we can do what we want, is because there's conditions for salvation. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about those conditions because they actually come up in a couple chapters in Romans chapter 10. But just so you know tonight, in case you're not back in Romans chapter 10, the conditions for salvation are faith, repentance, and confession. So that's, that's what the conditions of salvation are. That's what God tells us in his word. And we'll look, like, we'll look at that in a couple chapters. But, but it's a response of our will to God. And, and so instead of saying, well, I'm a Calvinist, so this is what I believe, or, and, and I hold to a more Wesleyan type of theology. So I, but instead of saying what I am and what I'm not, let's look at the Bible and see what the Bible says. And, and, and what happens is, and, and I counsel people, you may say, well, why are you taking so much time with this? Because I counsel people that have an idea in their head that is just not found in Scripture. And it's one of two things. One is that there's people that want to come to God, but God says, no, you're not part of the elect, you're not part of the called. And I talk to young people that feel as though that God has rejected them, that they are on the outside looking in because they fall in that camp. And I want to tell you, in the Bible, that camp does not exist. Because God says, when you seek me, you will find me. Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast them out. There is no such thing as a person that wants God and can't have him. And, and so you might talk to somebody someday like that. I want to tell you, God knew you before you were born, and he loved you. And, and, and so, again, we have to get that out of our mind. The other, the other thing we have in our mind is that there's people that really don't want to be Christian, but God wrestles them to the ground and makes them become a Christian. That's not in the Bible either. God doesn't do that. And so we've got to get these ideas out of our mind and, and, and realize it's those that seek after him it's those that 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 they go with the the conditions for salvation it's those that are in Christ and being led of the spirit and again what are we called to it's his purpose is to be like Christ this again this isn't about salvation we have to go back to the goal and the purpose and the process and 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 remember the context of this then I know maybe I was going to say you know, but maybe you don't. In Romans chapter 9, he's going to talk about Israel. And so when we get there, we'll talk about that. And Israel's relationship with, with God and, and the calling of Israel, that they were foreknew and predestined by God, and, and, and yet they had their troubles. And, and so just to give you a, a preview of chapter 9 before we get there, um, Gordon Fee, who is one of the, the strongest Pentecostal theologians that we have, and, and he was giving a lecture in Romans chapter 9, and he was talking about, um, you know, different re- references of, of Moses and the children of Israel. You know, the, um, uh, the parting of the Red Sea, and, you know, the sacrificial lamb, and, and all the different things that, that, that happened in, in, in early Israel. And that each of them were a sign of salvation, That God was giving a type of his salvation eventually in Jesus. And so he was going through all that. And and he states that Moses did not go into Israel as slaves and handpick who would come out. The call went to everyone. It wasn't just to a few. It was to everyone. And and, and, uh, moreover than that, uh, Moses didn't make anybody come that didn't want to come. And so that's important to note. And the other thing to important to note is that anybody could have left. You didn't even have to be an Israelite. Anybody could have gone with them. See, God said this is, this is open to everyone. And so uh, Fee's quote, and, and this kind of comes to a conclusion in his lecture, he says, God calls a people, but he lets individuals opt out. God calls everyone, but he lets people opt out. And when we talk about the elect, in the Old Testament we're talking about Israel. And not everybody from Israel was saved. Even though they were the children of God. And in the New Testament, the elect is the church. And not everybody that has their name on a membership roll is really in Christ. And yet, God says, these are my people that I'm in relationship with. God didn't get rid of Israel even when they were at their worst. God will not get rid of the church even when we're at our worst. Because he says, you're my people. I have a relationship with you. And my power will be displayed in my relationship with you. And you will serve me. And you will love me. And you will be a light. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to pour out his power and his revival, we will be that light. But again... He lets anyone opt out. See, when we talk about being called by God or chosen by God, most of the time in the Bible when that word is used, it's actually used in reference to service to God, that you've been called to serve God, that you've been called to love God, to belong to God. You've been called to be like Christ. That's the calling that's on our life, and we are called by our first name. I love that. God says, you, Daryl, I want you. Search your name in there. It's not just a, a, a clarion call to all humanity. God's calling you by name tonight. Even when you aren't attractive, even when you are messed up, even when your life is falling apart, again, remember, it's not about you doing the work. It's about God calling you and the Holy Spirit doing the work. You can say, well, God, how can God do that? And this is it. God says in his word very clearly. He says, I love you because I love you. There's there's no real reason to love you. I just love you. Why? Because I love you. Really? Why, God? Because I love you. That's what God is saying to us. He says, I want you to come into my family. I want to give you a new identity, a new look. I want to do something different in your life. I shared this on Thursday night, and I wasn't planning on it, but I, I just kind of came up to that night, and so I thought I'd, I'd use it tonight too. This idea of God choosing us, and and uh, Luke's here, so I hope I don't embarrass him. But a number of years ago, uh, when Luke was just going through a hard time and and stuff, and and uh, we were talking at the kitchen table, and and um, and just you know different things, uh, we were kind of talking about some other kids in the class, and maybe how smart they were, or good athletes they were. Or, Good musicians, or different things, or good artists, and and um, and I just I realized it was like an important moment, and and uh, we have the the class pictures of all the kids in, in each student's class, so we can see who's their friends and who we're talking about at dinner and stuff. And so, I took the class list, Luke's class list down, and I uh, looked at all those kids, and I knew them because it's a small school, and I kind of know their families. And I said, oh yeah, so and so, yeah, he's really smart, isn't he? he? Probably gets straight A's and on the honor roll and. Oh, yeah, so-and-so, man he's, a, man, he's like the best guy on the team, isn't he? And Luke's like, yeah. And this guy, boy, he's, he's unbelievable at guitar and, and on and on. I just went through the whole class. I said, well, I wonder who, I, who would I want to be my son? If I could choose anyone, who would I want to be my son? And I looked and said, if I could choose anybody, I'd choose this guy right there. And I pointed at Luke's picture. I choose you, Luke. I love you because I love you. I loved you before you were born. And 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 God does that not just with a few, but with everybody. He says, I choose you. I remember um, this came, again, back to my memory even today, and uh, I talked to Leslie about it. I had forgotten about it, but um, it's something Leslie didn't tell me until, until we were getting married, and that... The first time um, Leslie ever saw me or met me, um, God told her that she was going to marry me. It was, and, and in fact, uh, um, just like, boom, it was right there, and it was in, in the gym, when we used to have church in the gym, over there, uh, many years ago, and, and God just told her, and I'm, I'm glad she didn't tell me that night, because that would have been a little weird, but, um, <laughs> but it's when we got married. She said, God told me, and she, she told me the date and the time. God told me that, um, that I was going to marry you. And she said, I started watching you, and I started loving you before I ever really knew you. And I thought, that is such a, a powerful picture of God in us. That before we ever knew, before I even knew who she was, she would already said, this, this is God. Now, that's maybe a little out there, a little weird. I mean, if it's not God, then, you know, but that, this was God. Yep. 17 years later, it's still God. But, um, but that God knew me and he loved me. Before I ever responded to him, before I ever came to him, he knew me, he loved me. He said, you're the one. You're the one. And, um. That's powerful. And so Romans chapter 8 is telling us that we belong to God, especially those that are in Christ following the Holy Spirit, but all of us, we belong to God. It's wide open. And it's only through Christ, but it's wide open. It's a done deal. God says, this is what I want. It is not too impossible. You are not too messed up. I have a plan for you. I have a plan. I have a purpose for you to be like Christ. And you know what? I know you've made mistakes. But what was the first verse we read tonight? All things work together for good even the mistakes we make God says I am going to do that because I've got a purpose for you I have a plan for you and it's going to be done Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 and these are just some verses we're going to go through but before we close here tonight Philippians 1 verse 6 being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus it is a done deal What God started, he's going to finish. And if we know this, then we can jump to Romans 8.31, the next verse when we come back next week. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God's chosen me, if he's doing his work, if he's going to bring about his purpose in my life, who can be against me? Then you go on to verse 37, where it says, This is overwhelming victory, more than conquerors' verse, but in the NLT it says, Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Isn't that beautiful? That's what we have in Christ. I, I want to make sure that you are in Christ because Christ bids us to come. And as our church grows, I, I don't know everyone that's here on a Saturday or on a Sunday. But I want to make sure that you know Jesus Christ. And you don't have to know everything. You don't have to know what Calvinism is, or Wesleyanism, or predestination, or free I mean, you don't have to know any of that. I heard this one time and I and I loved it. It's, it's about the, the thief on the cross. There's, Jesus was crucified with two thieves, and, and one of the thieves gave his heart to Jesus he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, Yes, you'll be with me in paradise today. And, and um, imagine Ross cross showing up in heaven and saying, well, why should we let you in? And he goes, do you, do you know that you were foreknew by God? No. I, <laughs> Did you know you were predestined? Um, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, were you called by God? Were you justified by God? I don't know. All I know is the guy in the middle told me I could come. That should be all of our response. The guy on the middle cross said I could come. You don't have to understand all this. This is just explanation of the process. He bids you to come. He calls you by name. He knows exactly who you are. And these aren't a verses for a few. This is a verse for everyone. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me tonight? I want to give you an opportunity to um, come to Jesus tonight. So I'm going to pray with you, and and um, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You can do that. Um, you can do that tonight. And uh, I hope that you do. I pray that you do. And uh, maybe you've walked with Christ for many, many years, but you just want to say once again, thank you, God, for calling me. And uh, we're going to sing a song in a second, but before we do that, I just want to pray for you. And I want you to pray with me. And so whether it's for the first time or you've done this every time we pray this prayer, I want everyone to invite Jesus into their heart and life tonight. It's part of the the conditions for salvation is, is not only the faith and the repentance, but it's the confession. And let's see this prayer as our confession tonight. Would you repeat this prayer after me? Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. I want to turn from my sins. I now invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, uh, God is beginning up to you a brand new